What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Fatal from Fatal Affair. If you like this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the show. We are back, and so is Marvel. Fatal Foils is back for season two, and Marvel came back to test their hand at animation. I can't wait to dive into this week's Fatal Foils on the Marvel series, What If? Won't you take this journey into mystery with me? Yes, we are back. It is me, Fatal. And we're here to talk about something crazy. Something that a lot of audiences are going to have mixed reviews over. Uh, Not everybody's going to even show up to this uh, sort of event. Not everybody's in the grab bag of animation. Not everybody can even uh, tune in long enough to get the lessons from it. When you watch Avatar The Last Airbender, you get so many lessons because they themselves questioned uh, if they even should be in that premiere line on Nickelodeon, uh, animated by a Korean studio. They had grandmasters show them martial arts. It was always an effort and a push and a labor of love. And Marvel is uh, no less that than they are. In a lot of ways, they have uh, expendable resources, and Disney basically gave Marvel's What If their entire animation department with the budget of Marvel's cinematic universe, and they gave us a great treat. Uh, In a lot of ways, it's just, the first episode at least, is just a redo of Captain America the First Avenger. Unmistakable, it's almost beat for beat. And a lot of the things that happen in it which we're going to talk about, but if you don't want this spoiled for you and you're just tuning in to hear Fatal's wonderful season two voice in this brand new recording studio, well, now you can go and go watch the episode because this is a spoiler cast. We are going to talk about everything within this episode that's going to give away the coolest parts. They're going to describe the future of marvel possibly because all of this is canon everything that's going to happen in marvel's what if series is canon and this allows us to play with concepts that maybe the audience would have had trouble digesting in the first place this allows us to not have to spend the entire hollywood budget getting a special effects team and an actor uh squad a triple a actor lineup which granted some of the actors come back and do voice themselves in the animated feature but this is a more doable thing and allows us to play with special effects that would be harder to do in a movie, which we get in a weird, weird, possibly parallel look at Shuma Gorath. But we're going to talk about that <laughs> much later. Let's start with the episode and uh, the opening itself. This episode is titled, What If Captain Carter Were the First Avenger? Again, so quickly diving into a brand new Marvel property immediately off the heels of Black Widow. Every month they give you something new to digest so we don't sit with uh, how we had that giant endgame lull up into the first uh, Disney Plus series, WandaVision. We're just going right into a brand new one, uh, an entirely new one. 
This doesn't mean the animation doesn't look absolutely incredible. They took their time because this looks like something Disney put their heart into, something they wanted uh they wanted this to be remembered just like their other animated properties. Opening with the oh-so-sweet Marvel Studios graphic, I still remember the voices from Loki Episode 6 as this played, but we're back to normal. No more quotes from all these dying heroes and heroes still in question. Similarly, there is this gorgeous intro of our well-known Marvel Crusaders. Carol Danvers, T'Challa, Widow, all while Uatu's voice overlays a stunning fractal animation. This world-shattering animation. It looks like there was a 2D piece of art, like stained glass. Uh, the Marvel Universe had formed this beautiful painting. And after episode 6, when we stabbed He Who Remains... Not necessarily Kang. Uh, the universe shattered apart. It fractaled into all these different branches. And this seems very well represented here in the intro of uh, episode one. It was absolutely breathtaking, breathtaking, breathtaking. This seems like a demonstration of swinging hard out the gate, something we as a culture now demand from this specific studio above all else. The Marvel steam train cannot be stopped at this point, and we must continue to break boundaries. And in animation and sound, I think they did just that. In story in the first episode, ah, it's basically just, again, a reimagining of the first Avengers. But we're going to talk about all the good things, especially the Watcher canonizing the presence of the watcher and in animation it almost feels like he's such a grand presence this seems like the right way to do it to uh prophesize his coming foretell his coming through this vague look this beautiful artistic rendition of uh, a god basically essentially a god he is an alien however i am the watcher and who is the watcher Let's take a journey into mystery on my boy here. The Watcher is a character created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The first Watcher to appear in the comics was named Uatu, who we see here. He debuted in Fantastic Four, number 13, April 1963. I think this is important to remember the Fantastic Four as we go forward with this character. The Watchers as a people decided to take it upon their kind hearts to spread advancement to other races so they themselves could be like the Watchers. But as is young races' nature to experiment with weaponry and war, the Prosilicans wiped themselves out. The Watchers vowed to never interfere in the course of advancement again, so they may now only watch. Ikor, Uatu's father, is the one that drafted up a non-interference code that each Watcher would abide by, going to different star systems and occasionally returning to share stories with each other by a campfire, a peaceful existence, but Uatu, as a young Watcher, can't help himself sometimes, but to interfere. He's a roguish, bald god stealing the hands of queens in marriage. These beautiful aliens. My man's just macking on all of them. Cosmically fucking with people's goals, but he can't help himself. He's trying to sometimes swade things in his own moral compass. Now, a lot of the things that happen early on with Uatu sound a lot like some of the stuff going on here. Let's sidebar some theory crafting for a second. We know Doctor Strange is very much pissed off and very much aware at the multiverse shattering into pieces 
as is his duty as the Sorcerer Supreme. This first episode, we're going to see a variant of Captain America. This is very important, as this is one of the first things that happened to him in the comics. But we know Marvel doesn't stay within the lines. They know a lot of the fans uh, know these stories, and it follows with Doctor Strange containing this uh, variant Captain America in that timeline being allowed to persist anyway to continue existing. Uatu helps out Howard Stark and Nathaniel Richards. As we know, Nathaniel Richards, this is a variant of one Kang the Conqueror. The Watcher introduces himself to the Fantastic Four in his comic debut back in 1963, who is the famous Richards family. The Fantastic Four, they have yet to appear in the MCU still, but their presence is very much here. It could make Reed Richards again seem like all that much smarter of a man just as much as Tony Stark if not greater in the MCU if we allow him to remain as the main daddy-o and the first family of Marvel amongst the uh, cinematic characters that we have now. If his son is the time-traveling tyrant Kang the Conqueror because he's super genius Reed Richards and his uh, lineage even going back to assist the X-Men in Days of Future Past, my man has time written all over him. The TVA even is a massive product and a presence in Fantastic Four. It's just crazy to think the Watcher and Kang are here, but we don't have the Fantastic Four yet. There's just so much meat for these fans to sink their teeth into. I know I've been having... <laughs> A delicious time with all of this theory crafting. Marvel.com reads, The Watcher is a being who exists outside the planes of space and time. He sees every moment that has happened, will happen, or is happening. And not just in our universe. We've also seen the Watchers in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when Rocket and Yondu are jumping through portals. Good old Stan Lee is giving them new stories and ideas that they have. Stan Lee could have been he who remains first having seen all of the multiverse. It's far-fetched, but what if? Daredevil even at some point gaining the eyes of the Watcher. But that's in an entirely what-if universe all its own. Back to the show at hand. The Watcher filled in with the cosmos amongst a watercolor space background. I just found my new desktop. This was the coolest thing, the splash page right before the title card. I am your guide to these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question, what if? The hype is real! This literally feels like the introduction we got in the comics to the character. They are portraying these new characters so wonderfully. Their stride is perfect right now. Marvel is not missing a beat. Earth, June 1943, when Steve Rogers became Captain America and the first Avenger thundered on his way ever since. But what if one choice and it's a familiar one, were allowed to happen, allowed to play out. These stories being canon, we would assume that when Peggy Carter stayed by Steve's side, the TVA would have burst through the time door and pruned Peggy. But because the timeline is under zero management at the point, at this moment, the story could go on after her Nexus event, this is the same kind of thing that triggered in Loki with Sylvie when Sylvie was just kind of hanging out, playing by herself, but it was probably a thought and intention she had that called the TVA. Like when classic Loki missed his brother Thor, the TVA showed up. They showed up on a dime, and it was all just because he had a feeling. He probably stepped his feet in the wrong direction, and then they showed up. But in Peggy staying, her agent instincts caught an event amongst the crowd that leaves Steve unable to do the experiment. 
Some familiar iconography in Stark lowering his glasses and Peggy's posture in the chamber. The animation stayed snapping the whole time. The voice acting absolutely on point. I can't get enough of Peggy Carter's accent. A very touchy concept for the time. Obviously times are a little better, but not where we need them to be yet today. And far from it. Peggy here, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, is told blatantly, because she is a girl, she does not belong on the battlefield. And I'm glad they presented the controversy up front because everything about Steve Rogers is dismissible. He's a blonde haired blue-eyed, white male. As soon as soon as somebody is running up to take the mantle of the shield, we have to face what it means to be the hero, to be Captain America, to hold the flagging country that denied a lot of people the same equal rights to the same rights this country itself was fighting for, for centuries. So in these new cases of diversity for Isaiah Bradley, uh, who America took everything from all his life, Sam Wilson, a present-day black man having to take Captain America's shield, Danielle Cage, Luke Cage's daughter. It's important to establish these hardships and look at them in the face. Agent Carter clearly is taking this aggression out on the wall but not on a loving Steve Rogers, rehabilitating his ability to walk. The Hydra Nazis established the legend of the Tesseract. Meanwhile, Peggy and Howard push for a mission to take the fight to Hydra. But our American military representative won't let the duo proceed. Stark finds Peggy in a bar to present her with an awesome British uniform and a vibranium shield to match. A Hydra convoy proceeds down the street and a motorcyclist eats Peggy's shield. Peggy is an aggressive captain. This scene was fucking unbelievable. The fight choreography, the music, Peggy's commentary, the reflection of fire on the streets, the parallelisms to the way not only Steve fight, but I think Bucky fights. She does a haymaker on the last, the biggest Nazi. I, I could be reaching, but the electricity of this was, it allowed me to believe that that was Bucky's haymaker. I was like, oh man, as <laughs> we all tend to tear apart things. That punch kind of belongs to my metal arm boy now. Peggy presents the colonel with the Tesseract, and Stark studies it for a brand new suit. Captain Carter briefs an eager and qualified pilot Steve Rogers on the mission to be. I owe you one. You owe me a dance. This scene took a little breath away from me. Brilliant nods to what we know their romance, how this is gonna later drive Steve Rogers to do everything that he does by the end of his story. It has all of those emotions looming over it. And for all of us, we're instantly shooting ourselves to the moment where Captain America goes back in time to spend his life with Peggy Carter. Every time they have one of these lines, I think of the Age of Ultron dance scene. The one second handhold cut is heart squeezing. They put that imagery in your head right before transitioning scenes. Captain Carter sneaks up via sprinting 45 miles an hour, covertly. The motorcycle dropkick? Are you kidding me? She is so fucking cool! How do you dropkick a motorcycle into a watchtower? Steve Rogers sent me, telling that to Bucky. That's dope as hell for all parties involved. Steve, Peggy, and Bucky. Brilliant writing. Iconic scene reference back to the first Captain America with the Howling Commandos where he's... Captain America is leading the helm. Parallel imagery throughout all of the episode is handled so carefully. Steve coming in with the Hydra Stomper is sweet! Hey Peggy, now you owe me one. Like taking some of her guilt away. My mans isn't so helpless right now. He's not super crippled. He now looks like a big man to Peggy. As he told Peggy, now the outside reflects the inside and Steve is an eight foot steel suit of a man. <laughs> 
Steve is literally squeezing tank barrels. Bucky's face is awesome. I think I'm friends with him too. New dancing shoes, all these dance references, they just want to dance together. Steve, Peggy, listen, you can dance if you want to, you can leave Bucky behind, because if your friends don't dance and if they don't dance, they're no friends of mine. There's nothing safe about jumping from tank to tank, literally zapping and slashing them to pieces, a dope montage of Peggy handing Nazis their ass on a platter. Steve repping Brooklyn on Stark Tech, comic book boom pow imagery of Captain Peggy Carter beating the hell out of everybody from New York to California, all to the sounds of the 80s and the colonel taking credit for things. Who told Peggy to go that hard? She uppercuts a sunroof in a plane using a man. Did She did parkour off the back of a plane into another plane. Peggy, chill. What in the ass? She's having so much fun, she mounts Steve like a Yoshi and dips out. It's so kick-ass. Nasty Hydra plotting going on next to prophetic stone writings. A champion will be summoned from beyond the stars. My champion. A bullet shot revelation revealing the nasty and ever dastardly Red Skull. Peggy and Steve are on a familiar date. The dialogue very parallel for Steve. You're more than a suit. When Steve is saying, it must feel nice for Peggy to finally feel respected as a woman during World War II and her outside finally matching her inside as the strong woman she always was. The mission that changes it all for Steve, now Peggy in the position with a jeep stealing Bucky atop a snowy mountain, which would have turned him into the Winter Soldier in the MCU proper, but Peggy saves him to the reply, you almost ripped my arm off. Steve comes in and slows a Hydra train with the stomper. It kind of reminded me of Spider-Man, but now things are reminding me too much of things. A covert Captain Carter ziplines onto the train and saves a clumsy Bucky from falling. Steve takes the initiative to investigate the train's payload, only to find his demise. First warning Carter to evacuate, replied by the sight of a destructed Steve. It left me speechless. It left Peggy heartbroken. It was a, it was a pretty hard scene. But later totally undone, as Disney likes to do sometimes. The Red Skull wants to unleash cosmic hell on Earth. The Red Skull wants to take our world from us in many ways he already has. Peggy is a perfect role model for grief. Not all of us can be that strong. But this shows why Peggy is a good role for Captain America emotionally to the colonel's disagreement. His ass is just lucky to be in the room. Peggy's gonna Loki and burn that castle to the ground. She can start with Mobius's desk. Peggy is a one-woman unstoppable force, performing fluid combat techniques, traversing from enemy to enemy, and practicing some wild-ass parkour whilst at it. Fearless and effortlessly, she'd almost make an incredible Black Widow. Howard and Peggy make their way for Red Skull, and Red Skull activates the Tesseract, and Bucky finds a still-existing Steve and the Hydra Stomper. Peggy and Howard find Red Skull and his Hydra Champion, a big fucking tentacle monster by the name of... I don't know. Is that Shumagorath? Seriously? They continue to blow my mind with what they just surprisingly give fans with no warning. Like Kang and Loki Episode 6, we get basically... I would have guessed that this is Shumagorath. Who else in the Marvel Universe looks like that, with a presence like that, continues to grow, requires the attention of a sword-wielding Captain America just to push him back into his own dimension? 
Cutting up a bunch of tentacles doesn't necessarily mean she killed him. She escaped. There was a portal that opened and she saw the opportunity to leave. I would think that that's Shumagorath. Especially in a expanded multiversal idea, if this timeline is now continuing to exist based off of Kang's death and it never was allowed to continue before thanks to the pruning of the TVA, would this allow sooner Shumagorath to start appearing? Is he going to start appearing every episode of What If? Are you going to see a green tentacle in every single episode? I don't know. I just got really excited. But <laughs> hopefully this was Shumagorath. They never say his name, but if he does appear in Multiverse of Madness, it's possible to get some nods. Howard and Peggy think to reverse the suction polarity to suck the monster back into the wormhole. Peggy becomes a fucking Herculean champion and starts cutting the limbs of the Hydra. Steve meets her on a level to assist defeating the monster and evacuating soldiers. I'll push it back to hell. Peggy runs headfirst into- I'm gonna call him Shumagorath. Peggy runs headfirst into Shumagorath and saves everyone leaving behind a shocked Steve Rogers, closing the wormhole to the multiverse and saving the world. And like Steve didn't die, Peggy is merely waiting until the day one Nick Fury would call her to action. Her story as Captain America would continue in the modern-day Avengers of her timeline, off-screen for now. Her choice gave the multiverse a brand new hero. And the multiverse is still running wild. I wonder what other multiverse timeline will be touched by <clears throat> Shumagorath, or otherwise, and The Watcher. These productions are closer and closer to the comics while still keeping sturdy storyline telling form. Marvel audiences eagerly awaiting each release to build our childhoods back together with every gripping new telling of the franchise. The Watcher recounts the story in a brief conclusion for he will not, cannot interfere. He is the Watcher. Ending it on Uatu feels appropriate and we need to keep in mind his active participation in the telling of these stories. But that's a wrap on our first episode of Marvel's What If. And if you like this show, make sure to follow us on wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, I'm Fatal and you just listened to the Fatal Foils. I'll see you next time. But until then, always remember to ponder the question, what if? <laughs>